Good morning. It is good to, to worship together. Just hear your voices and our, all of our voices joining together and singing some of those songs. And um, the acapella portions actually really moved me this morning. Just hearing our voices uniting together. Thank you for braving the slightly warm weather to be out. Um, slightly, it's what, 75, 76? Give or take 25 degrees. <laughs> what is the most refreshing thing you can think of in heat like this? Ice water, lemonade, a pool. What was that? Not being in a commercial kitchen. Um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Someone else. I heard root beer float. Cold watermelon. I didn't think of that. That's a good one. So these are things that, that are going to fill our afternoon today, right? No, refreshing things. Now, I start this way well, because of the heat, for one thing. But today, we're going to look at two psalms that really talk about refreshing in a spiritual sense. That talk about a, a design that God has for His church, His people, that is refreshing, that is building up that is just a wonderful place to be. You know, that we can think of a lot of terms of refreshing from heat, a lot of things that would do that. But what helps us be refreshed as we walk through the doors? What helps us be refreshed as we spend the two and a half hours together this morning and then, then spend time together throughout the weeks? And, and the psalmist here, the, the, the psalms collection, the song collection, comes to the end of the psalms of ascent and, and really has some ideas that talk about how to be refreshed, how to come together. If you remember, um, the Psalms of Ascent, which are, are roughly 120 through 134, those 15 Psalms, the Psalms of Ascent are songs they would sing on the way up to Jerusalem, on the way up to the temple to prepare themselves for worship. So they're going up to a feast, they're going to be coming into the house of the Lord, and they sing these songs, which is a great tradition, that get them ready to go. Um, some traditions say they also sing these songs on the steps of the temple as they, as they go up to the temple. And what a wonderful way to orient ourselves to worship than with God's word, right? And so we come to the last two in that series, 133 and 134, and it's bringing together, and what I'm picturing is people are coming to the house of the Lord and they get right before the doors, they're about to come in and we get the last thing that, that God wants to put on our hearts as we prepare for worship. And he comes to how we come together as a family, how we come together in unity, and that it's a beautiful thing. It's a refreshing thing to come together in unity. It's a refreshing thing to come together no matter what our position, no matter what our ministry no matter where we are. And so we come to Psalm 133 and 134, very short psalms, but powerful psalms in their message. So turn with me there. The psalms is about in the middle of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seats right under you, a black cover one. If you don't have one at home, take that home as our gift to you. But let's look at these last two psalms of ascent, the songs that they would sing as they were about to enter the doors of the temple and see what God has for us today in his word. Psalm 133 and 134. To summarize these two psalms together, and, and, and really 132 through 134 is probably a triplet of psalms that go together, but 
We're hitting these two. Um, If I had to summarize these, I put it at the top of your notes. God's blessings flow down as we worship and bless God in unity. God's blessings flow down as we worship and bless God in unity. Now, some of you have already looked at your notes. I I heard it this morning. Oh, this must be a short sermon. There's only two points, one on the front and one on the back. That's more room for you to write. Uh, (laughs) But really, two points, one for each psalm. The first one is God blesses as we worship together in unexplainable unity. God blesses as we worship together in unexplainable unity. And I'll even give you the second point for Psalm 134 now. God blesses when we join our worshiping family, even when we are on the night shift of things. God blesses when we join our worshiping family, even when we are on the night shift of things. So let's jump back to Psalm Psalm 133. God blesses as we worship together in unexplainable unity. Verse 1 there starts, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And this is the statement. The rest of it's going to be explanations or illustrations of the statement. But the psalmist starts with, Behold! And this is an, an exclamation point, exclamation point. You know how in text you always have to have at least one exclamation point in your text to show you're not mad? Um, yeah, <laughs> anyone else feel that? And, and then I found out ending with a period means you are mad, and so that's a, um, I'm navigating all this. But, but the psalmist starts with, behold, hey, look, look at this. This is amazing. Interesting that he would use that as his description for unity as his starting point for unity and coming together. This is amazing. Look at this. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And and just looking at that verse and and, and looking at some of the things there, the word brothers can mean family. So, So ladies, it's not excluding you. But the idea is the family, the community. And this is more than just your nuclear family. But coming together and realizing that in the house of God, God's people are a family. And so even the Psalms use family imagery. How good and pleasant it is when the brothers dwell together in unity. The word for unity, as we've talked before, isn't uniformity. We can have difference of opinions. We can have different ideas. But it has this idea of unitedness in hearts. Togetherness. When we come, we are about the same things. We are about the same purposes. We are here for the same reasons. Our hearts are one in that. And we're here to worship our Lord and Savior. We're here to study His Word. We're here to fall under the teaching and the power of His Word. And so, right from the start, you're family and it's good to dwell in unity. Now, does being family automatically bring unity? Why is there laughter? No, no. The very fact that we're family doesn't bring unity. Ask Abel. It it, it just doesn't. Sorry, a little dark humor there. (laughs) No, there's sin and there's things that get in the way of that. And so we go on to, to realize this is something we have to work at. Yes, we're family, but we have to put an effort into this for there to be unity, for our hearts to become one for how we talk of each other, for how we treat each other. Those have to come under the word of God. And and the word dwell, I think, helps that too. When brothers, when family dwell 
or live together or have a commitment to each other. It's interesting that word for dwell could mean living in the same community. It also meant to marry. Now, he is not saying that all of us should marry each other. But the idea is that there is a commitment that you are family and you're committed to family and, and we're committed to being together through thick and thin. And, and so this is a, a beautiful statement how good and pleasant it is when brothers or when church family comes together in a commitment to each other and has unity as they do that. And good and pleasant, you can just, those words just sort of warm your heart, right? Good meaning it's right. Pleasant is the emotional side of it, that it's joyful, it's happy, it's attractive. Something to be pursued. And think, think of the opposite. Sometimes understanding a word, thinking of the opposite helps. What's the opposite of unity? Disunity, but give me another synonym. What was that? Chaos, right, okay, chaos, strife, anger. What was that over here? Tyranny. Yeah, and so the opposite of unity, what do those, all of those words, what emotions do those elicit? Not good. Bad stuff. Yeah, because those are not what should characterize the house of the Lord. And so right here, the psalmist, as they're about to enter the doors, and understand, as all of Israel is about to enter the doors to worship together, different tribes, different accents, different ways of doing things. Some of those tribes have a history with each other. There's a lot of water under the bridge. There are all kinds of things, different vocations, different ways of life, and they're all about to enter the door. They are, I would, I would argue, probably more diverse than we are in this room. And God is saying, have unity, dwell together, be committed to unity and be committed to each other. This is what the church should be. What brought them together there? What brought them to the temple? A command to worship God. A command to remember what God has done. And that is the unifying factor. What has God done? Longman said, this psalm celebrates unity and urges God's people to pursue it when it is lacking. And so it's a description of the unity, but also a challenge to pursue it. And then in verses 2 and 3, he gives a couple of examples, which are just sort of fun, and I think help explain and help describe what happens when we pursue unity. The first is is oil in verse 2. It is like, and and the, the it, it is the unity, dwelling together in unity, coming together in one heart, one mind, and, and, and supporting each other. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Yeah, just like that, right? Anyone like, ooh? I, what if I asked for a volunteer and had a bottle of motor oil up here? It needs to be someone with a beard. There, no one would volunteer. You're like, no, I know, Don would. You're like, I know you do crazy things. You're going to pour that. And it's going to go everywhere. So, so this one we need to dig into a little bit because the hearers would have understood this. They would have been like, yeah, that's a great illustration. And we're like, that's gross. Uh, I, I can remember changing the oil on my car one time and I'm underneath and all of a sudden the, um, the oil plug let loose and my head was right under it. And I would not describe that as good and pleasant. 
<laughs> like unity in the church. But, but un- we need to understand the picture of what's happening here. The oil represents, it was, a, it was a precious oil, a fragrant oil that was used for anointing, that was used for anointing priests, but also kings, people into God's service. And so the imagery here is picture Aaron and, and, and his descendants are probably included in this. Picture the priests that are coming together and they get some precious oil on their head. And this is an anointing oil. This is the, it also represents the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And it, it's put on the head and there is such an abundance of the presence of God. There is such an abundance of the, the anointing that it just starts running over everything. That it drips down, that it drips down the beard, it drips to the collar, it drips to the breastplate and the clothes. And, and the, the psalmist here isn't being gross. He's sort of saying, this is the beauty of God's anointing. It just flows onto everything. You're going to see in this psalm at least three different times, you get the idea of flowing down, flowing down, flowing down. And so unity is like something that was put on the head, the very presence of God that's put on the head that then flows to every other part. It affects everything. It shows that God's blessings overflow. God's blessings of unity overflow to others. Our actions in pursuing unity don't just affect us. They affect everyone around us and are a blessing to everyone around us. Unity should run down and perfume every part of church life. Every part. It's interesting, and, and several of the scholars pointed this out, the, the priests would wear this breastplate, and they had stones from all 12 tribes. And so the imagery here is the oil of unity overflowing and pouring across all, four, all 12 tribes. Isn't that cool? And, and it's a picture of coming together, no matter the differences, for the purpose of worshiping God. You know, one of the things as I think of flowing down is this spreads God's grace to each other. It spreads God's love to each other. When you walk into a place where there's unity versus strife, you can tell. It makes a difference. This is what Jesus said when he said, they'll know you are Christians by your love. And so when we, this morning we talked a little bit about outreach and with our schools and things, We can do outreach even in this building if we strive for unity. You know, if we are pursuing unity with each other, that makes a difference to the world. Or are we spreading disunity and spreading strife? That's the question we have, and those directly affect whether we are reaching out and showing Christ to others. Let me, let me go a little bit different or a, a little bit further with this. If you walk into a church and you look around and everyone's the same, everyone has the same style of clothes, everyone's the same age, everyone's the same status in life, everyone's the same skin color. I'm not saying that's wrong because there are places where that happens. Does that, is that a testimony to the unifying work of the Holy Spirit? Maybe a little bit because we're different and people are weird. I'm weird. I can say that. Um, But if you walk into a place that has a group of people that would never associate with each other outside of church and they are in unity and loving each other and caring for each other, that is one of the most powerful forms of outreach we have on Sunday mornings. That is huge. 
And, and, and this pains my heart because right now, I think because of consumerism and because of self-centeredness, right now the church is splitting up into all these homogeneous units that look the same because I like it, I'm comfortable there, and I think it's a disgrace to God and a discredit to the unifying factor of the Holy Spirit. It's why I love that we're intergenerational and we have crazy differences here. I mean, I've gotten comments about a 55-year-old on the disc golf course with teenagers getting along. Now, the comments were, you're not very good, but at least you're out there. Uh, (laughs) But we see that. When I see ministries working together with teens and 20-somethings and those older and, and all integrated together, that is a testimony to the unity of what the church should be. When, when people have to say, why are they hanging out? Why are they hanging out? Why is that young couple going to dinner with, with the old guy? Well, because the Holy Spirit has made us family. The Holy Spirit has brought us together. John seventeen twenty three. Jesus said, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And what Jesus is saying there is the Father and I are one, and so you all should be one and have unity, that the world may know that God sent Jesus. When we come and we love each other and forgive each other, and when we take our our differences in a proper way, in a healthy way, we are showing the world who Jesus is, and it's a beautiful thing. Some of this, too, is the imagery of the oil is this is a priest. And a priest would mediate God's love and God's message to other people, like ambassadors, because we are all priests. And so the image is that this person that is mediating God's message to others, sharing God's message with others, it overflows so much that they can't help but hear it. So I love this image of oil. Even though I didn't understand it at first, even though it sounds gross at first, It's a beautiful image of what unity in the church should be. Verse 3 gives the next image. So oil, unity spreads God's sanctifying work. God's sanctifying work, his message, his his, um, love to each other. The dew is the next one in verse 3. And the dew is a refreshing liquid. It's something that cools. And, And this is a reminder that unity pours out refreshment on God's people. Unity pours out refreshment on God's people. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls in the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life evermore. Any of you ever been to Mount Hermon? Okay, a couple of people have. Mount Hermon in Israel. Okay, I know there's one out here too, right, or in, in the States. Um, yeah, so a couple of people have. Anyone ever been to Zion or Jerusalem? Okay, those of you that have been on trips with us, yeah, we've all been there. Um, what is the difference between the two? Mount Hermon is like 10,000 feet, snow-covered, lush, beautiful. In fact, we have a picture of Mount Hermon. The, in the background, the snow-covered Mount Hermon. It's up in the northern part of Israel, the highest point in Israel. Um, it is notable for its dew, which also could refer to light rain, this heavy dew that would help things grow, that would refresh. Zion, and I, I don't have a picture of Zion or Jerusalem, but you've seen enough. Um, Jerusalem is fairly arid, fairly dry, think desert. 
So think Mount Baldy versus the Mojave Desert. Okay? And I, that's the closest, or Big Bear versus the, the Mojave Desert. And so that's the imagery that's being used here. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Now, this is poetry because those of you that know the terrain are like, the, the dew of Mount Hermon can never fall on Mount Zion because they're 90 miles a, apart. The, the, this can't scientifically, and there's a valley in between, so it can't really flow to it because water doesn't flow uphill yet. And, and, and so the science of it is like, how does this work? The psalmist is making a poetic illustration. What would happen in Jerusalem if the same dew that fell on Hermon fell in Jerusalem? In this arid place, if this heavy rain and dew that caused all, everything to be lush, wouldn't that be refreshing? Wouldn't that be amazing? That's the picture the psalmist is using here. It is amazing. It is, it is refreshing when we have unity with each other. It's like taking this life-giving dew, taking this refreshing dew, and just pouring it on the church. And again, you have the illustration of something that is poured out from above and just flows down. And, and you have the dew from Mount Hermon flowing down to Zion. And, and, and if that same water was there, it would refresh and help things grow. These are all descriptions of unity. The oil, the refreshing of the dew. And like I said, all of these throughout this psalm are something that is given and pours down and blesses others and spreads. And when we pursue unity, it pours out on our congregation. It pours out on our church and it spreads and it blesses others. Williams writes this, and I really appreciated his quote, so I'm just going to read his quote rather than try to paraphrase it. Our unity comes from the Spirit of God, flowing over us like oil, and the heavenly dew descending upon us, bringing God's blessings of life, eternal life, forever and ever. It is only God's Spirit and His promise of eternal life that will break down the sin in our hearts, crucifying our selfishness, making us one. And so we get to the very last part of verse 3, the blessing. God blesses as we worship together in unexplainable unity. It says, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And there's, there's all kinds of debate. Is the there about the unity? Is the there about Zion? Probably about Zion here, because if you compare it to the next, next chapter. It's saying, from the house of the Lord, from where God is, His blessings pour out as we seek him in the way that he would have us seek him. And and that blessing here is life forevermore, eternal life. And, And the thought is you have eternal life now. You have abundant life now. You have the life God promised you now, not just when we die and go to heaven. And so this is God's blessing that is tied to unity. Together we experience God's blessing. Together we worship. And as we worship in unity, it's a taste of heaven. It's a taste of heaven that we just can't describe. Because it is a picture of what can happen when the Holy Spirit changes lives. Experiencing unity? Enjoy it. It's refreshing. It's showing Jesus to others. 
This song also reminds us if we aren't experiencing it, to pursue it, to make it happen. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Unity is more important than elevating self or looking good. The unity is part of God's blessing, as I know we've experienced. Now, before we move to 134, sort of a warning, and, and what can we do? The warning is that Satan will do everything he can to attack unity because it's so powerful in our arsenal of, of outreach and in our arsenal of discipleship and coming together. Satan will do everything he can to attack unity, to prevent God's blessing from flowing down. He will do everything he can to harm your view of unity and to harm the testimony of the church. Don't let him. Don't let him. He will deceive. He will incite falsehood. Don't let him. We cling to unity because it is a God-given gift as we worship our Lord together. Another warning. This unity is not at the expense of tolerating sin. So sometimes I've seen churches, I drive by one every morning when I take the the boys to school, and it says, um, basically, we include everybody. And they are very pro-LG, whatever the letters are, um, very pro that and pro everything that's in culture today. And they're like, everyone is welcome here. And whereas everyone is welcome to hear the gospel, unity does have to address sin. And so it can't be unity at the expense of truth. And that's one of the, the lies that our culture is telling us today. That's not healthy unity. It's false unity. So what can we do? And, and, and you can think through things and, and I debated, oh, we might have time. What are some things we can do to promote unity in the church? Let me get your ideas first. Eat together, okay? That's a good one. I like it. Pray together. Anyone else? (laughs) Go to angel games together, which we did, and it was great. And they had a great win last night. So, um... (laughs) But do things together. Do, do fun things together. What was that? Work together. That's right. Serve together. Show grace. Study the Bible together. Those are great ones. Help each other out. Yeah. But by the way, we need some help to move some things out. Thank you. No, just kidding. What was that? Community groups, thank you. Um, community groups. And um, I know that the one of the Jager House is already going. Ours starts back up next month um, after Israel because Israel's far away. Um, and so uh, community groups are a great way to dive in together if you're looking for community. Um, lifeline for our youth and the prayer time there, those are all wonderful things that we want to pursue and be part of if we are going to um, be pursuing unity. Some of the things on my list, I'll just go through them quickly. Focus on what you're doing for Jesus. Instead of all the externals, focus on what we're doing for Jesus. Get to know people different from you. And that can be different in any way. Age, status of life, um, life stage, skin color. It could be anything. Get to know people different from you. Um, Ask at least one person outside of your circle each Sunday how you can pray for them. And the key there is outside your circle. 
Sometimes we stay in our circles, and I understand that. We have friends, and we have um, inner circles of people that we're discipling and in discipleship relationships with. But be sure to be going outside of that. Um, Allow people different preferences that are not essential issues. Um, Don't be offended easily. For those of you that know that I love the Velveteen Rabbit, this would be the don't be easily broken um, that is taught in the Velveteen Rabbit. If you have never read that book, it is a profound book of wisdom teaching that you'll find in the kids section with lots of pictures. But it's, it's a wonderful, um, wonderful book. Allow brothers and sisters to hold you accountable and be able to say you're wrong. If you hear gossip, stop the conversation. Go to the source if needed. Remember Proverbs, it says the first to state his case seems right. Evaluate if your own sin is causing a breach in unity in the church. These are all things that we can do to make sure we have unity in the church. Sort of to sum it up, I I thought, work to be a window repair person rather than a stone thrower. Think about that. You'll get that in the middle of the night. (laughs) Psalm 133. God blesses as we worship together in unexplainable unity. The unity of God's people is not optional. God is not a one-child father. You are not an only child. Just think about that one too. Um, Because sometimes we act like he's only my father. Um, When we allow sin to compromise unity, we hinder God's blessing. So let's jump to Psalm 134. So Psalm 133 about unity. Psalm 134, I think, also includes a concept of unity, but very specifically to those that are maybe in the lesser, the lesser side of things. Let me, let me explain it. The point there is God blesses when we join our worshiping family, even when we are on the night shift of things. Ever feel like you're just getting drawing the night shift of life? Okay, that, that's sort of where I think this psalm is going. Some of you work night shift, and you're like, oh, yeah. Um, psalm 134. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And so verse 1 there, and and again, there's things culturally that we don't readily understand, but it's good to dive into and study and see. Come, bless the Lord. We've talked about bless the Lord. We went through the bless the Lord Psalms. It means to make his name great to speak well of him, to, to um, elevate his reputation. So it says, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. And so the question that that begs to be answered is, who are the servants of the Lord here? We're all servants of the Lord, but he's talking to a particular subset here, which is really interesting, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. And if we understand this and, and look at the culture this probably is referring to some of the Levites who got the night shift. Okay, so different Levites got different shifts, and I don't know how all that was was decided. They were on duty in the temple day and night. In the daytime, you're doing sacrifices, you're helping people worship, it's bustling, it's exciting, you're seeing how God is working, you're seeing um, examples of, of his forgiveness and the sacrifices. And at nighttime... There's no one there, and it's lonely, and it's quiet. You do have some jobs. You need to keep the lampstands lit. 
You need to keep the sacrifice fires burning so they're ready to go the next day. You need to guard the gates and just sort of be on call all night for anything that's needed. And so it is, it is fascinating to me that the very last psalm of ascent of how we come together as God's people, how we come to the house of the Lord, the very last one directly addresses those that maybe got the wrong end of the deal in their mind, that got the harder job or what would be seen as the less significant job. And they're just standing there ready to serve. And so verse 1 and 2 are a challenge that even in the night shift to praise God, even in the dark, even if our ministry seems secondary, even if we don't see why we're doing what we're doing, even if our ministry isn't as upfront as we would like, where then we have to ask, why do we crave upfront ministry? Even in all those things, the command is, bless the Lord. Make his name great. Worship him. Now, now part of this too is understanding that we are to join worshiping family if they're, in there, if they're in that place. But our worshiping family as a church, we are to make sure that all of those, even those that may seem to be in a lesser position, to make sure they're all included. Because we are all still a worshiping family. And so when I say that we join our worshiping family, that's a, a two-sided command that we join when we're feeling that way and they include when we're feeling that way. There are no lesser ministries. What happens if these guys say, you know what, there's no people here, really doesn't matter what I do, and the sacrificial fires go out? What happens the next day? The sacrifices to God Almighty are affected. Their ministry is important. And and so it's a, a beautiful song saying, no matter who's watching, no matter what's going on, even the mundane gives the opportunity to worship. Even driving to work tomorrow gives an opportunity to worship. Even throwing in a load of laundry gives an opportunity to worship. Or if you have teenagers, 20 loads of laundry. Actually, they're doing most of it their own, so, so it's um, different different stage. Beautiful. Do I owe my kids a dollar for that? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) 35 cents? Because it wasn't bad. (laughs) Here's the thing. Satan will try to get in your head to rush ministry. Satan will try to get in your head, I should be doing that. Satan will try to get in your head, this isn't important. And, And I know we use nursery as an example a lot because we all know how important nursery is if those five joyful noise babies were with us. You know, cleaning up and preparing our our grounds for Sunday morning. It's huge. Someone is picking up some stuff that you don't want your kids to see. Those are all important ministries. Even the mundane gives an opportunity to worship. He goes on, verse 2, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And lifting up hands was a common gesture in prayer, in praise. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands. 
Interesting, he ties it back to unity without anger or quarreling. And so the idea of including everyone in worship, of praising God, of lifting our holy hands, it means we need to be right with God. There's a holiness factor, but it also means making sure we do this together without grumbling, without quarreling. God blesses when we include the seemingly less significant in our worshiping family. And we need to be intentional on this. Sometimes it can happen on accident where we don't see the people working in some of those things, where we don't see the person that feels like they're on the night shift of life. And we want to ask questions and care and be intentional about that. And we get to verse 3. May the Lord bless you from Zion. And it takes these people that are maybe in lesser positions that have chosen to worship God, and it gives them a blessing. May the Lord, may Yahweh bless you from Zion, who made heaven, he who made heaven and earth. And it's a reminder that God's blessings flow down as we worship and obey him. Both of the Psalms together, God's blessings flow down on a people who come together in unity and, and cherish unity and don't let things stand in the way of unity. Because as soon as we go to strife, the focus is no longer on God, it's on ourselves. Where God desires our whole heart. He desires us to worship him above all else. I want to close by just reading Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. And then we'll spend some time at the Lord's, the Lord's table, taking the Lord's Supper together. Eating together, maybe not a full meal, but, but eating together. Ephesians 4 says this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so it's important, it's, it's wonderful to end with the Lord's Supper because this supper, which, because this represents the grace that has been given to each of us. This represents the unifying factor of why we can have unity as the body of Christ. It's unexplainable in terms of the world. But only because we have the same Father, only because we all have been forgiven only because we all have been showing grace can we do that for other people. And that's where Ephesians was going. We have one God, one salvation, one spirit, and so have unity together. And so today we want to come to the Lord's table. And we're about to take a, a piece of cracker that represents the body of Christ. It represents his body as he died on the cross, as he was hung on the cross, as he was tortured as he, he expelled his last breath, but a willing sacrifice on our behalf. And so as we take the bread, we should remember his sacrifice. We should remember what he went through on our behalf. The juice represents his blood that was spilled, and, and his blood being spilled was the payment for our sins. Sin requires payment. 
The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. And God in his love said, I want to give you a way to still be in relationship with me, to have that sin forgiven. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and was crucified on that cross to pay the penalty you and I should pay. That's what the, the, the juice represents. His blood that represents his forgiveness. And so as we take this, also as we remember Christ, remember that we are Christ's family. We take the Lord's Supper together. We are in communion with each other. And in fact, remembering Christ's sacrifice can only happen as we remember to have unity and to love and care for each other. Let's bow our heads, thank God, and then we'll pass out the elements. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the beautiful blessing of unity. Even though we are a a strange, diverse group of people, Lord, help us to have oily heads that just spread out on everyone else. Help us to be like the dew that refreshes everyone around us and helps people grow and helps people walk with you, Lord God. Lord, I pray, I pray that you would help us pursue this kind of unity and that you would um, make that possible. Lord, I pray that we would be committed to your death on the cross, your resurrection three days later and the change that is made in our lives. And that we'd be committed to helping others see that as ambassadors for you. Thank you for your sacrifice, God. Thank you for making us sons and daughters of the King. Thank you for making us family. In your name.